Hello and welcome to VetCast. Um, this is Kat here. Um, as I said before in some of the podcasts, I'm a small animal vet um, working just in a little one vet practice. Um, and today, basically, I thought I would share with you um, about the, the Morgan pocket technique to um, replace the prolapse nictitans gland. Um, reason for thinking about this this week um is basically because I had a little dog, um, a little French bulldog called Junior, who's about three, three and a half months old, came in um, and was already getting quite a lot of irritation on his eye. And um, on examination, when you um, looked at the third eyelid, you could see that that um, gland was prolapsing out on both sides, actually. Um, and so I have performed the, the Morgan pocket technique in order to replace that prolapse gland and so I thought it was a good one just to have a, a quick talk about. Um, we'll see how this technique works over a podcast. Um, I'd love to hear your feedback as to, to what you think. Um, with this sort of thing on a podcast format um, you kind of need to already have a the working idea of the anatomy and um, embrace kind of visualising the, the technique there but I think that can still be helpful um so see what you guys think um so first of all when we've got a prolapse gland obviously it doesn't look as good you've got the the cosmetic effect of that prolapsed gland sitting up there and so some owners will be very fussy uh, about that and just from from the cosmetic side of things they'll want things surgically sorted um but otherwise you know if you don't care about the looks side of things why would you look at putting your dog through surgery just because this this gland is is up um and the most important reason for that is um that basically that nictitans gland is responsible for um more than a third of the aqueous part of the the tear film there so if that isn't sitting right and it isn't um distributing then you're not going to be getting that tear film working properly um left untreated the gland becomes very swollen and that tear production starts to to go down um eventually the inflamed tissue becomes um fibrotic um and all that parenchyma around the gland starts to get destroyed um and eventually you know the chances of it returning to a normal function if left um, goes down with time so it's something that you also don't want to be leaving for for a massive amount of time if you want the best chance of success with this surgery now people have looked into um why this this occurs and it's not fully understood um there um but plumber et al um in their 2008 paper um had a look at this and they found that um either um complete aplasia or hypoplasia of the connective tissue of the connective tissue was one possibility um that connective tissue between the base of the glands and the periorbital tissues and so if that connective tissue isn't holding that gland properly in place then it's very prone to um breaking down and not sitting properly in that third eyelid as it as it should um, this is thought to be exacerbated by lymphoid hyperplasia um, or allergic components, so the inflammation associated with um, allergic reactions um, there. 
Um, importantly, um, we all know the, the sorts of breeds that are, are affected. Um, pugs, French Bulldogs, um, Great Danes, um, all of them are, um, are the English Bulldog. All of those are, are more affected by um, this risk of the prolapse nicted hands gland um but interestingly if it's going to occur more than three quarters occur when they are less than one year of age so if they get past that initial period then that risk certainly goes um down um on initial presentation about 60 percent are unilateral um but many more will become bilateral within three months um so of those that are going to become bilateral, most of them do it within three months. So to a certain extent, maybe it's worth seeing over a couple of months before going in to do the surgery. And then you can look at, um, you know, if two to three months have passed, you're going to um, have a fair idea whether it's going to affect both eyes or not. Um, so again, just looking back to what happens if, uh, what the options are then there's there's been various techniques um out there from the anchoring technique to this morgan pocket technique through to removal of the third eyelid i think the majority of first opinion vets have now got the message that removing that third eyelid um isn't the right thing to do but in case you're still looking at that as as one of the options because certainly it's you know, much, much simpler thing to do and it initially pleases the owner, um, certainly in the short term. Um, there's definitely big reasons not to. Um, there's been several studies that have shown that um, the the risk of eye problems, eye complications, if that third eyelid is removed, goes up. Um Sato et al. in their 2001 paper um, showed that initially it is the quality of the tear film that decreases and they noticed that the pH of the tears started to increase and the volume of tears started to go down. Um, eventually micro lesions on that corneal surface started to appear and then the risk of um, more overt corneal damage um, in the longer term. So now we know why we're doing this um, technique, um, it's then to look at how this surgery is, is performed. We use this one, the Morgan pocket technique, compared to the anchor technique because it allows the gland to still move much more normally post-operatively compared to those anchoring techniques. Those anchoring techniques will pull that third eyelid down into the, um, the the socket of the eye, down towards the periorbital space. Whereas the Morgan pocket technique still allows that nictitans, um, the, the third eyelid to be um, raised up as it needs to. So it still helps with that spread of the, the tear film across the eye. Um, before you look at doing any of the surgery, it's worth um, measuring the Shermer tear test. Um, this gives you an idea of where you are with the tear 
production at the, the pre-surgical state. Um, you can then look at measuring this again afterwards um, once everything is, has healed really nicely. And it can be really useful to just show your owners um, that there is a quantitative difference there following that surgery. So in terms of preparation for the, the surgery, um, it's a, a straightforward general anaesthetic. You don't need to do anything um, in particular with that. When you're positioning them, we want to look at getting um, your dog into sternal recumbency. Um, and we want to be um, using a, an eye preparation to, to clean the eye. Um, we're going to be wanting to use um, iodine solution. Um, we need to make sure that it is the iodine solution rather than the iodine scrub. You'll know that because it's, it's non-foaming. Um, and you dilute this down to, to 1 in 50 um, because we're going to be wanting to clean actually inside the, um, the eye space there on the, on the globe itself. Um, so give a little bit of a scrub to the to the surrounding tissues um, and then with a syringe full of uh, 1 in 15 iodine solution um, then you want to, to flush the eye itself. Um, once it has been cleaned we need to get the dog um, into position on the table and you may want to use um, towels or sandbags, um, something to try and get that um, head and eye really stable and secure. It makes such a massive difference with eye surgery if you can get that um, secure. You can buy um, vacuum sandbags um, or they've got almost like tiny little polystyrene balls and that, that's what I use um, and it can be so so helpful in terms of of getting their head nice and still in that space um, there. Then using an eyelid speculum you want to position uh, that into both eyelids so one on the top lid one on the bottom lid and it keeps those two eyelids um, apart there. Um, a little bit of lubricant on the eye to obviously make sure that corneal surface um, stays moist whilst you're, whilst it is exposed there and we don't cause any damage to the corneal surface during the, the surgery. First thing with the surgery itself um, is then well you can just, I'm going to go back just a little bit in terms of the drapes. You can obviously use a normal drape, that's absolutely fine, but you can also get um, drapes that are ones with where you can stick it down onto the um, the, the surface of the um, eyelids there and you just make a small incision and it means that you can keep everywhere very sterile and just have a very small incision um, over the eyelids there and that can just be really really helpful rather than having a big bulky traditional surgical drape there. So sorry moving on then to the surgery itself what we want to do is look at first of all placing stay sutures in the nictitans gland um, this enables us to manipulate and hold that nictitans gland um, without 
causing continual damage and irritation to that area. So um, both at the most craniodorsal um, and uh, the most ventral bit of that nictitans gland, put a, a stay suture on either side and held with um, a couple of little mosquito forceps. That allows you to lift that gland up out of the eye and invert it um, so that you're seeing the um, the bulbar side, the underside of that third eyelid gland. Then we want to look at um, making a curvilinear incision, both distal to the gland and proximal to the, to the gland. Um, we don't want to connect those two incisions. The two incisions are kept quite separate, one above, one below the prolapsed uh, nictitans gland. Um, and there should be a small gap left both medially and laterally, which will be important um, at a later stage in the surgery. Next stage, to use um, the finest forceps um, and tenotomy scissors. Um, and you want to um, carefully elevate that bulbar conjunctiva along the, the dorsal incision um, in order to aid suturing a later stage. So you basically just put your scissors gently down into the, the incision you've made with your scalpel blade. Um, you can use a beaver blade for that, it's really, really helpful, just a nice, finer blade. Um, and then you put your tenotomy scissors into that area and just gently, bluntly dissect along there, making it um, a little bit more easy to, to pick up the edges of that. Um, on the, pro the, um, the more proximal incision, the one closest um to the to the eye and to the periorbital tissues tissues you want to look at creating a pocket um so using the tenotomy scissors you push down and create a little pocket um there working all the way along the whole length of that incision and you'll find that you're able to then place the prolapse gland into that pocket um, there and that's when you know that you've got the um, the area right. At that stage once you've done both those aspects we can look at trying to, to suture this up. First of all you want to tie an anchoring suture on the anterior surface and um, so on the front of that third eyelid um, and then pass the suture through to the posterior side um, and you'll want to place um, a simple continuous line all the way along um, that area um, but importantly on both um, the medial and lateral side we want to leave just two small openings and that is there specifically to allow tear drainage um, because that nictitan glands once have all this inflammation has gone down we want it to be um, producing tears nicely again back onto that corneal surface and we need those to be draining out that allows that tear film to be working properly and to prevent a cyst forming because we've trapped in the um, 
the tears there. It's the last thing we want to be doing. Um, so having made sure that our knots are very much on the um, the anterior side of the, the gland, um, it shouldn't matter too much about using simple continuous, but some people prefer to use an everting pattern, um, particularly if you're going to be using larger suture material, then I think it becomes more and more important. Um, but in general, um, you want to be using um, polyglactin 910, so um, probably a 5 naught is ideal, but... Um, you know, you can use six naught um there in order to um keep things nice and fine and minimise the irritation there. So main tips to be thinking about when doing this surgery, um making sure your incisions don't meet up. We want to be leaving a little gap at either end to allow those tears to to flow out. Um and then creating a a really good nice pocket for the prolapse gland to be sitting in so using your tenotomy scissors to bluntly dissect uh, down underneath the the surface of the the tissues in order to create that pocket and then finally making sure that all your knots and things are away from that corneal surface um Post-operatively, very important also to be thinking about what we need to do um, with that. We want to be looking at preventing secondary bacterial infections here. So I would recommend um, a um, broad-spectrum um, topical antibiotic five to seven days or so afterwards, um, as well as providing prevent plenty of lubrication. So... I tend to tell owners, the more you lubricate, the better. They can't really do that one too much. Um, so three or four times a day is brilliant if the owners um, can manage that. We also want to ensure the dog is comfortable. So usually a non-steroidal or some other um, pain relief, depending on um, what is most appropriate for that um, patient. I tend to send owners home with a buster collar, but... Um, they certainly don't all need a buster collar. Um, this little dog, Junior, that I saw, it was only, you know, three-month-old puppy. So, um, again, it wasn't showing any signs of rubbing or bothering at its eyes, but I've sent the home, owner home with a buster collar and we can just make sure, you know, the first signs of Junior starting to rub it, its eyes, instead of having to wait till the next day to come in and get a buster collar, they've got it right there. They can pop it on him as soon as he starts causing any problems. Um, and you can tell your owners that um, they're typically healed in about two weeks' time. Um, so hopefully that will um, you know, go fairly smoothly for them. Um, but, as with many surgeries, it's really important that you talk to the owners up front um, about complications that, that might occur. And the big ones uh, for the Morgan Pocket um, is the risk of it re-prolapsing. Um, even when a surgeon is very experienced, um, this can still happen. Um, it either happens due to the sutures breaking down or 
often the little gaps at either end, um, if they're left slightly too big, then the gland can prolapse back out of those areas. So you need to make um, owners aware that that will happen in a, a small percentage of cases. Then there is the risk of having cyst formation if that little gap is too small and we're not allowing those tears to drain out. So again, uh, one of the risks and complications there. And then the other main risk is that the, the suture rubs on the corneal surface and you've got your risk of ulcers and problems um, there if that, that occurs. Um, there's a few studies out there looking at um, success rates and overall it has a pretty good success rate, 95-97% or so. Um, I think the 97 was by uh, Daganet Al. Um, and they also reported about a 13% complication rate. So one of those other um, bits there. But the majority of dogs go um, through successfully. So um, hopefully this podcast has been a, a helpful just reminder of a technique. I think for for this way of talking about things um, on a podcast I think you'll probably already have to be a little bit familiar with the the technique Um, but hopefully it's given you a reminder of how things um, should be done it's given you a chance of you know whilst you're driving or whatever you're doing at the same time a chance to kind of visualize things as as we've been going along Um, but let me know I'd be interested to know how you find it was it too difficult to follow because it would have been better with with pictures or actually it's great let's try doing this um again another time um i'd love to hear what your thoughts are um so give me a shout back on the the podcast page um and we'll we'll see whether we do uh more bits like this again okay thanks very much take care bye